Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. So today we are going to be continuing on in our Luke series, A Beautiful Narrative. Uh, But before we do that, I just want to give you a couple announcements, things that are coming up that are important. So uh, we are holding uh, a class that we do called Understanding Church Membership. So that, this is going to be Saturday, March 12th. And this is for anyone who's like, this is my home church. I'm settled in here. I want to I get involved. I want to start participating. This is like your next step. You, so you know us up, know what we're uh, about. And again, we know there's some confusion around ch- church membership. We value it. It's important. It's biblical. But we want to be able to teach and un- uh, a- answer questions that you might have. Then our Thursday night Bible study is moving to uh, every week. This is going to be a weekly thing. Uh, it's led by two of our other elders, uh, and it, they're going to be studying through Ephesians. And I know, you know, a lot of us, we've been in church before, and we're like, small groups, small groups, that's the thing. Small groups is one of the plays we run at this church. Let me just be very clear. The other ways that we try other ways to disciple through our counseling ministry to one-to-one discipleship and also through Bible study. So let me push this really hard. Like if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to learn, meet some other people in the church family and see the different perspectives on scripture and the way the Bible speaks to us, you know, as from different cultures and backgrounds, I want you to come to this. All right. It's a good time. So just make note of that. And then I think there's one more. Our Sunday gathering, so you are aware, this is going to be our long-term meeting space. It's worked out for us. We should give thanks to God for that. We're moving all over the place. Um, uh, But the church here has been good to us, and we're going to be sort of steady here for at least the next year, God willing. So just let's, let's give thanks for that. All right. So the title of our message today is, Good Things Happen When Believers Obey the Lord. And we're going to be looking at Luke 10. 1 to 24, so let me read it. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to uh, every town and place where he himself was about to go. He uh, He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the har- his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, a travel bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they offer for the workers worthy of his wages. Do not move from house to house. When you enter a town and they welcome you, eat the things Set before you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When you enter any town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. 
Woe to you, Carozin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For I, if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on, at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? To heaven? No. You will, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. The, 70, <laughs> the 72 returned with joy saying, he's right about that. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you, given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, however, do not rejoice that you, the spirits submit to you, but rejoice, but rejoice that your name are written in heaven. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to the infants. Yes, yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and anyone whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings want to see the things that you see, but did, didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. Father, we continue, God, to give you praise and glory for giving us a word. That we're here, Lord God, with a word that speaks to us right now and speaks directly into our time. Help us, I pray, to have listening ears and a heart that is prepared, God, to do what you say. Father, we continue to pray and ask for those who are struggling through war, for peace for them to come to their life, and for you to continue uh, to help and move people to be kind to one another. We pray that you would bring justice, Lord God, where it's needed. But for us right now, we ask that you would give us a spirit that believes that your word's true, that it's inerrant, that it's perfect, that it revives the soul, that it brings light to the eyes, that it makes wise the simple. And God, I pray that we would listen to it and obey it by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good things happen when believers obey the Lord. Let me give you some examples of this so you know it's true. You got Lydia in Acts. She obeys God's command to show hospitality. And then you have traveling missionaries who have a place to stay. You have Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, who obeys God's command to flee to Egypt with Mary and a young Jesus. And the life of our Savior is protected from a tyrant in the government. And there's a reminder from Scripture that history repeats itself. That sometimes there's people in government who overstep who go beyond their authority. And, and, and Herod was one of those terrible people in history. And that reminds us to pray for our government and government around the world. Then you have Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, and, uh, Susanna, and they obey God's command to give from their possessions. And the, the ministry of Jesus was actually financed as he was here on earth. He, he had a place to stay. Jermaine talked about this, that Jesus was a homeless man. And these women 
who model for us a way to be, to be generous, provide. And Jesus has a place to say, there's Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and a wife who obey the Lord's command to intentionally teach and disciple others. And there's this man, Apollos, he humbly submits and learns from them. And he actually becomes a more effective minister of the gospel. Then there's Paul, Phoebe, Peter, Stephen, and many others throughout church history who obey God's command to spread the gospel. And millions of people, including you and me, are now benefiting from their obedience because we know the Lord. Good things happen when believers obey the Lord. And in the text we're looking at, there's lots of commands. And when we obey, we're going to see good things come from it. Look at verse 1. It says, after this, the Lord appointed the 72. That word appointed is important. reminds you that all leadership is delegated. It's entrusted leadership. That truthfully, every leader is actually working under the authority, truthfully, of God. And they'll be held accountable by God and, and, and others. And he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Notice that Jesus sends them in pairs. It tells you that he sends them on mission. He's like, go out and do the work. But it reminds you that ministry is a team sport. That there's too much work for one person to do. You go all the way through the Bible. Moses had Miriam and Aaron, his, his brother and his sister. Paul had Timothy and Silas. And then there's our church. We have a team. Right? Sometimes you go to a church and it looks like it's just all about sort of one person and that one person standing there and making you think it. it's all about them. And I, that's not the heart of our church. Let me remind you of our team. Because sometimes there's new people. I want you to see them. Right? I was with Anthony. I was thinking about this. We were together on Friday. We were eating lunch and talking a little bit, and he reminded me he didn't even want to come here. But we're glad he's here, right? Amen. Amen. He was at a barbecue that got boring, and he walked into a prayer meeting, and God was like, you're coming here, right? We thank God for Anthony. And... But there's all these people. There's, a, there's another list, right? So we have elders and deacons serving and giving time. It's not about one person. And we give God praise for the gift of these people. When there's a team, there's fellowship. Somebody for you to work and process things with. When there's a team, there's shared labor. Not everybody, one person doing all the work. When there's a team, there's accountability. Somebody oversteps, goes too far. If I overstep, then, some, then, then Pastor Sean could be like, Marv, no, 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 let's pull you back. There's accountability. It's good. It's healthy. And you also need to understand, all of you are on a team on some level. Do you know that? All of you are on a team on some level. Maybe it's at your job. You're on a team. In your marriage, you're on a team. Parenting, you're on a team. In your church, you're on a team. Maybe in your hobbies, whatever you're doing, you're on a team. So here's the word to you. Be a good team member. That simple. Be a good team member. Be honest. Be humble. Be patient. Be dependable. Be thoughtful. Right? Somebody, be, pay attention to those who are around you. How about this? Be willing to sacrifice as a team member. Here's a big one. Be content. Sometimes we're on a team and we're just watching. I wish I was getting to do what that person's doing. No, no, no. Be good with the sovereignty of God that he's placed you in a specific spot and be content. And if it's God's will, he will move you on to something else. And good things happen when we obey in this way. Verse two, it says, he told them the harvest is abundant. What he means there is that there's lots of people still left for God 
to save. He says, but the workers are few. More workers are needed. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the harvest. Because there's still lots of people left for God to bring in, let's obey his command to pray. Here's this reminder that your prayer life matters. That your prayer life can actually make a difference in this world. Because as you pray, God will raise up elders and deacons and hope kids workers and, and, and faithful, good neighbors who simply are willing to take the gospel to others. People who start and revitalize churches. Remember, when we obey God, good things can happen. Then verse 3 says, Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Among wolves. That word wolves reminds us that there are people out there who are under satanic influence, who are trying to destroy and discourage the people of God. That is the culture you live in. You are a lamb among wolves. Wolves, why do you think sometimes when you are just simply being honest about your faith, somebody accuses you, accuses you of bigotry? You're in a culture that is hostile, trying to destroy and discourage you. That's why there's, there's some people who are being passed over for jobs. Those are real things that are, being ha- are happening. And you're tempted to hide your faith. Don't do that. Be courageous. Trust God that God will provide and take care of you. There are people who are being locked up for their faith. There are people in other parts of the world who are going to jail for their faith. Why? Because we are lambs among wolves. But even though it's hard, right? Jermaine said this, following Jesus has never been easy, but it's worth it. You gotta, and again, just read your Bible, right? Just go home today and like pick up Acts. Just read it all the way through. Something good happens, opposition, That's usually how it goes, but it's worth it. There is a reward coming. And when you spread the gospel, it actually changes lives. So because good things happen, we obey the command to go. We obey the command to go. Look back at verse three, it says, now go. It's a command. And for some of us, that means we're going to our cousins, we're going to our classmates, we're going to a child in our home, we're going maybe to another part of our country, maybe another province. Maybe you're getting on a plane and going to another country. But we are to obey that command to go. God wants the gospel out there. He wants the message out. And and he tells us how to go. Look at verse four. Do not carry a money bag, a travel bag, or sandals, do not greet anyone along the road. Jesus here tells us that we are to go with the belief that God will provide for our needs. That's how we go. That's how we live our life. When you live your life like this, this this settled belief that God will provide, it shows that you truly believe that God is present. When you live believing that God will provide, it shows that you believe God is a protector. When you live this way, it shows that you truly believe God is a provider, that he will come through at all times. But I want to clarify something on this. Believing that God will provide is not an excuse to be passive in your life. Right? Y'all, you're with me today. All right, lift it up. 
It's not an excuse to be passive. Maybe you believe God is going to provide me with a job. That does not mean you sit at home and don't put any resumes out. It does not mean you don't get up and go looking. Maybe you believe God is going to provide me with somebody to marry. You know where I'm going with this. It does not mean, it does not mean you don't pursue somebody. It does, I want some weddings on my schedule. That's what, it does not mean, that's right, I love a barbecue. You see how nice it is outside? It's barbecue season, we're getting there. It does not mean you don't give somebody a chance, right? Maybe you believe God's gonna provide for your, your business. And I meant to say this back here. There's a ton, let me come back. There's a ton of single people up in here, right? This is the whole, I, and trust me when I say this, you need to start talking to each other. I'm, I'm, it's okay for the church to be matchmaking. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing my, this is what the Lord's called me to tell you, I'm telling you. Talk to each other, give each other a chance. You know, if you want me to give you some, I'm there, I'm ready, all right? But it's, oh, you're not in this place together by accident. Trust that God, God might do something special if you just take a step of faith. I wasn't supposed to go that hard on that, but it's important. Maybe you believe God's going to provide for your business, but that does not mean you don't sit back and not, and, and not advertise and show your value. God provides for his people as we take courageous steps of faith. That's how it works. Next, he tells us to go with urgency. Notice he says, do not greet anyone on the road. Jesus is not saying to be rude. He's saying there's no time to waste. People are dying in wars, right? We see that right now on the news in front of us, right? There, there are people who are turning from God. That, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not into that. There, there are people who are thinking, convinced we can save ourselves if we just get off this rock, or if we become sort of transhuman, maybe we can work this out, but we cannot save ourselves. Only God can save. And that's why we have to obey the command to offer peace. Look at verse five. Whatever house you enter first, say peace to this household. If a person of peace, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Now in Acts 10, helps us understand what this, this phrase, peace to this household, means. He says, he sent the, and you got to remember, Acts is part two of Luke, right? He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. When, a, when you say peace to this household, you're offering the gospel. That's what that, that's what that means right there. And when a, a, a person accepts the gospel, they become a person of peace. You're like, why? Why do they become a person of peace? Why does this happen in their life? Because they have peace with God. Amen. Because they, they, have, they have fellowship with God restored. This broken relationship is put back together. They're actually given hope. And I told you, good things happen when we obey. Think about the, how beautiful that would be. In the, you know some people right now outside the faith. How beautiful it would be for them to have this level of peace. And then here's the other thing. When, when somebody becomes a person of peace, 
they support those who are spreading the message. Look at verse 7. It says, remain in the house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Do not move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. That word wages is talking about giving financially. God expects us to be a people who give sacrificially to the work. Why? So ministry is funded. So the needs of the minister is met, gospel ministers. And so that the gospel is spread. And I want to say, say this. Many of you in our church, you are doing this. And on an elder level, we give, you, we give thanks. And we say, thank you for that. Our church actually wouldn't be alive if people were not doing that. But I also want to say, there are some of us who need to trust the Lord and start to participate. And I want to say three things about giving quickly. It needs to be done from the heart. You read your Bible from Genesis all the way to the end. It always says the person whose heart moves them, the person who is willing. It needs to be done from the heart, driven by the gospel. This belief that Jesus gave everything for me, and so now out of this, this, this joy in seeing his generosity, now I give. It needs to be done from the heart. Here's the other thing. It needs to be done wisely. You never go into debt to give. Don't do that. You give always being aware of your other responsibilities. Again, sometimes churches will come at people and it's just like, nah, just give to this thing. And you're like, well, I still have other things that I need to take care of. So it needs to be done wisely considering all of that. Here's the other thing. It needs to be done with a kingdom mindset. That I'm giving to the gospel. That I'm giving to the work of God so that it will spread. Now, there's a word, though, to the minister of the gospel, to gospel ministers. Jesus gives it. Verse 7, he says, don't move from house to house. You know what that command is? Don't mooch. Here's a text that reminds you that people who are in my roles, that there's a real temptation towards greed. So he says, don't do that. Then he says, Eat the things, in verse 8, that are set before you. What's that? Be content. And so, those, so here in this, this section, you have this, this good picture of giving and how it should work. We participate, but those who are receiving and managing it shouldn't be greedy. And it reminds us that when it comes to ministry, ministers need to understand ministry is not a hustle. That you are in it to serve people, not to use them. And you need to trust God in his care for you. Let me keep going. Verse 9, he says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When you enter any town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping off the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so in this section here, Jesus highlights the fact that the church is to do balanced ministry. Notice he says, heal the sick and proclaim the truth. God cares about people's spiritual and their physical. And every local church should have that same heart. But he also says... That rejection is a possibility. And he says, when that happens, 
You should warn them. That's what this, when you, when you go out and you shake the dust off your feet that clings, it's a warning. And you're warning them because truthfully, they're not rejecting you and the gospel message. They're rejecting God. Look at verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. They're rejecting God. And let me tell you, it's dangerous. Go back to verse 12. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Corozin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Verse 14, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Jesus highlights these three places, Corozin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. All places that saw Jesus, heard the gospel, and rejected it. Then he tells you about three other places, Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, which were three of the worst places in the Old Testament. And he says, these people who were terrible, Sodom is known for its wickedness and rebellion, Tyre and Sidon oppressed the people of Israel. Jesus says that it will be better for them on the day of Judgment, And what he's highlighting here is the danger of rejecting the gospel. It's very dangerous to have heard it and say, no, nah, I don't want that. And that's why we have to obey the command to warn. The command to warn. He says, he says tell them what they are doing. I want to show you, some of you have seen this. This is, a, this is my grandma. She's no longer alive anymore. Good looking lady, right? It's a good woman, right? If she cooked the food, ministered to your soul. Like she, she, and she held the family together. She cared, and she prepared you for life. Something that my grandma always said, always, was if you don't hear, you will feel. And if you, sometimes a slipper would come flying. But every time she did that, Every single time my grandma would do that for me and my sisters as we were living with her for a while as she was just supporting my mom who was a single mom. Every time she did that, it was merciful. Every time she said, if you don't hear, you will feel. It was kind. It was, she was protecting us from consequences that come for bad behavior. And I want you to know that every time you willingly warn somebody to say, no, do not reject the gospel, do not reject God, you are being kind, you are being merciful, you are being loving. Sometimes we think, oh, I shouldn't shouldn't tell them about judgment and the reality that that's real, that hell is a real place, that the wrath of God is real, and that those who reject God will experience that. We think, oh, I shouldn't say that. But you, if, you don't, if you're not willing, then we, I will start to wonder, do you really care about the person in your life? It's an act of love to warn a person. You're giving them an opportunity to repent, to turn from destructive sin. You're giving them an opportunity to receive God's mercy and forgiveness. You're giving them an opportunity to be restored to fellowship. It's an act of love. When you do it, you actually show you truly 
care. And you need to do it with gentleness, obviously, with respect and kindness. But it still needs to happen. This text applies to us too, though, as believers in another way. It reminds you that it's wise to keep the faith. It's wise to hold on to your confession, your hope, because that is the way to be protected from the wrath to come. Jesus, when you, hold, when you have faith in him, protects you because he has taken that on himself on the cross when he died in our place. And so it reminds us, it encourages us, exhorts us to keep the faith. Verse 17 says the 72 returned saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At this time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, because this is your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one who knows the Son, knows the Son except, the Father, except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things that you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things that you, you hear, but didn't hear them. So the disciples come back and they're joyful. They're rejoicing. They're like, yes. But they're rejoicing in the wrong thing. They're rejoicing in ministry success. They're like, even the demons submit to us. Here, you know, ministry success comes and goes. So Jesus is like, you're rejoicing in the wrong thing. So he re redirects them. He says, let me show you what you should rejoice in. You should rejoice in the fact of how good God has been to you. That is what you rejoice in. And he shows them three ways. Let me show you how good God's been to us. In verse 18 to 19, he shows that God has defeated our spiritual enemy. That there's nothing in the eternal sense that Satan can do to any of us and that he cannot stop the work of God that is going on in the world. In verses 23 to 24, he says, you should be rejoicing in the goodness of God because he has allowed you to live in the era of fulfillment. That you actually are, are seeing the true Messiah, that he has come, that there are prophets and kings who are looking around, longing to see it, but he, he's right in front of you and he is coming again and on that day when he comes all of his promises to us will be fulfilled he's like you know rejoice in the goodness of god then he says he says rejoice in the fact that god has revealed the true character and nature of jesus there's so many people in our world who don't know this they're like ah oh, jesus was just a regular cat he was just another guy but you know who jesus truly is the savior of the world, the must God come to rescue us, the one who gave his life in our place, our coming king. Your eyes have been opened to this reality. That is beautiful. And if you're not excited, and you should be excited, let me give you another one. God has written our names in the book of life. It's in the text. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Jessica, your name is in heaven written down 
James, your name is in heaven, written down. Michelle, your name is in heaven, written down, protected. What the Bible's trying to tell you is your salvation is secure and that there's nothing that can separate you from God. And in all the struggle, in all the grind of life, hold on to this reality that your hope is secure. Rejoice in the right thing. Because there's so many things in life trying to steal your joy. Satan is working. People in the culture who don't, some, they don't even know better are going at your joy. But Jesus levels the ground here. He says, do you understand what God has done for you? Do you understand the goodness of God? Rejoice in this, that your hope is secure. Jesus, it says in the text, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Do you notice? Do you see it? So he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And the reason why is, is because of this. Jesus is joyful about your unchanging reality. And if he is joyful, you should be joyful. These, these things cannot change. And one thing that reminds us of our unchanging reality is communion. When we stop and we take together, it reminds us when we obey, when we do what Jesus says, because we're commanded to take communion. When we, when we do it, it, re it reminds us that our names, and if you don't have one, there's some in the back, but we're going to take communion. But when we, when we do it, it reminds us that our, our names are in heaven written down that we're united to Jesus Christ and that nothing can separate us from his love when we take communion it reminds us that our hope is secured and as we take together when we're going to do that the scripture reminds us to examine ourselves to look at our life to see where am I with the Lord where am I with other people in my life also, it reminds us to confess our sins. If there's anything we need to give to the Lord before doing it. But I want to I say it also, it's an opportunity for you to rejoice. Sometimes we come to communion and it's just, it's very solemn. And I get that, it's, it's an important thing. But it's also a, a reality that you can rejoice over. That God has brought you out of darkness into light. And that you can celebrate by taking communion of your settled reality. I want to say, though, that if you're not a believer, if you're not in the faith, that you are to abstain from communion. It's for those who are trusted in Jesus Christ. We appreciate that you're here. And if you want to talk, I'm willing to talk to you after. But let's take a moment and then we'll take together. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.